0: So hello and welcome uh, to another ad hoc session of the Corona Committee. Um, Today we're talking to Cheryl Atkinson, and she's a journalist and television correspondent. She hosts the Sinclair broadcast group TV um, TV show um, Full Measure. Um, She's a uh, five-time Emmy Award winner. And today we're talking to her about the um, phenomenon of astroturfing. Um, Yeah.
1: you tell um, I just I just mentioned before we started this um, recording that um, we saw your uh, Ted talk <clears throat> that you gave at the University of. Uh, um Nevada and Reno and uh, astroturfing is, of course, something that most of us had never heard of before, but it does seem to play a play a phenomenally big role in. I guess, uh, advertising, but also maybe in connection with Corona, we'll see. Um, So what is astroturfing?
2: It was initially created and the term coined in the political realm. And it's the word for creating sort of a fake grassroots movement. In other words, making something look like there is an opinion or a movement coming from the people when it's actually being very well orchestrated by corporate or political interests designed to look that way. And I took a deep dive into this in my second book, which is a New York Times bestseller. And I I even learned, although I knew this existed, a lot more by interviewing some of the players in the field. Um, I called the book, The Smear, because these are smear artists. They work for political and corporate interests at high levels. It's a multi-billion dollar global industry. And they figured out how to co-opt virtually every mode of communication that we turn to. Whether it's the information we get online, whether it's what's joked about on late night comedy talk shows, whether it's nonprofits that you hear from that are raising money or awareness for certain causes. There are these big money interests behind all of these things, but the art of it is to try to make it look as though there are ordinary people pulling strings. And one more thing I'll mention in this introductory part of it is the whole goal is to make you feel like you're an outlier on some topic when you're not. In other words, they they seek to make you feel as though you're the only one that thinks a certain thing, which actually may be a majority feeling or opinion or conclusion, but they wanna make you afraid to talk about it. They wanna marginalize you if you do, because it's something that hurts the special interests who are funding these campaigns.
0: So is this going on in every segment of of our life, what we see? I thought that it was like mainly in say pharmaceutical things that you have like self-help groups, that are basically orchestrated by the pharmaceutical uh, industry itself, you know, Uh, is this, but this I understand, but would you think it's also in all kinds of activities like for better education and all that, it's everything is like infiltrated that way?
2: Absolutely. And in fact, one of the smear artists that I interviewed for my second book called The Smear kind of gave me chills when he talked about this because his quote was, that virtually everything and every image that crosses your path in daily life was put there for a reason he said by somebody who had a paid interest in putting it there and he was telling me he went on to say it's like a movie that there's no scene that's random there's no conversation that wasn't staged and when you start to think of it that way i don't know if the people watching are old enough to remember the truman show which was a film by that jim carrey starred in which was about someone living in an artificial reality who was completely unaware that everything going on around him was placed there from advertising and product placement to just he himself was a TV show and didn't know it. And if you look at it like that, that's kind of what it reminds me of. According to the people who work in this industry that seek to influence our information and our opinions, they've co-opted everything. And some of the examples maybe you haven't thought of, um, it's kind of obvious that they hire, they get fake accounts, they influence wikipedia social media comments and all of that people kind of know that but some things you may not know they write letters to the editor under the names of prominent people including political figures but and this the names of these important people are signed but some interest wrote the letter to the editor that appears in major publications around the world that are actually not driven or written by those people there are in the united states comments to the federal register before Any regulation gets put into place, they're supposed to take the government comments on websites. And most Americans have never filed a comment this way and probably don't know about the process, but there are thousands and thousands of comments that appear. And one of the smear artists I talked to said he's paid to go flood the Federal Register with comments, you know, from basically on behalf of the interest, but it looks like ordinary people to try to influence a regulation. So this is all being played out kind of. I think the public has some awareness that information is being influenced but I don't think they have any idea of how vast of an industry, this has become, particularly in the last 15 years. Wow, that's crazy. How many
0: people do you think are working in that field.
2: Well, I tried to quantify it for my book and since they don't count the part of a PR firm or crisis firm or law global law firm or LLC that engages in this work, although most of them have somebody engaging in this type of work. It's really not possible to quantify, but we know conservatively, if you just take the slices that are identifiable, it is a multi-billion dollar industry that involves thousands and thousands of highly paid businesses and operators. Many of the operators in this realm are former members of government who move from government into this industry where they can influence and pull strings, sometimes use their name on behalf of these clients to Uh, represent things that they want to be represented, so I think the whole goal between overt lobbying that maybe you can know something about. And these AstroTurf campaigns is when the AstroTurf campaigns are done properly by these paid artists smear artists, as I say, you'll never know they're behind it. The whole goal is for them to be able to influence opinion in a way that's invisible to the public and I diagrammed one group because there are many that do this. But just to give an example I diagrammed one group alone that had something like 25 different entities really it's all one guy and a group of donors. But they're fanned out under so many different names that when they start issuing press releases, these are nonprofits and LLCs and websites and political action committees. And they know how to reach the press and they try to put something on the radar by issuing press releases and statements and pretty soon reporters who are unknowing or unquestioning start going well look everybody's talking about this news event it must be news we should put it on the news when that's been entirely manufactured by a relatively small group that wants that to be talked about in a certain way on the news
1: do the people um those who are involved in this i mean of course there's those who are actually pulling the strings from behind the scenes and then there's the others who um who uh, like, for example, the late night talk show hosts uh, who are joking about those things that those string pullers want them to to joke about. Are they aware of this or are some of them aware of it and others not? In other words, is it maybe only those people who are pulling the strings who really know what's going on and everyone else is involved but doesn't know?
2: I think there's a mix. I think some of the people Uh being influenced or being used to influence may have some sense that they know this is a narrative coming from somebody, but not an idea of how vast in nature and how organized it is. Um, I don't know how the particular jokes get told on the late night comedy shows, but that was given to me as an example by one smear artist, something that they're able to do. And you can watch and see common themes and common discussions. I always say, when you're looking at the news or the information landscape and you see almost everybody talking about the same four or five things in the same way, often using the same language, that's not by chance. And it's not just a coincidence. Because think of the thousands and thousands of newsworthy topics that could be discussed in a given day. If so many are on the same page, and again, using even the same terms, that's the result of an organized effort. That's not granular. That's not something that's just happened by itself. Um, You mentioned the pharmaceutical industry. That's probably when I first started to become aware of some of these efforts. And I, I guess people, I've been so deep in this and steeped in it as a news reporter for so many years, it's kind of become second nature. But I do remember looking back when I was unaware this was going on, and I was covering on behalf of CBS News, uh, as many journalists were back then, before the pharmaceutical industry was able to successfully use its money and influence to stop this sort of reporting, I and other journalists were covering medical safety issues. And as part of that, there would be a drug under examination by the FDA for safety reasons, and a pharmaceutical company wouldn't want to do an on camera interview, but they would refer me to an independent doctor. And I started thinking, I guess, as most journalists don't ultimately do, and I didn't used to, who's this doctor? Like, why would this doctor be willing to go out on a limb on a drug that the FDA has identified as potentially problematic? And you have a medical doctor saying, don't worry about a thing. Like, it just seemed odd to me. Trust your cognitive dissonance. And I started asking the doctors, and 100% of the time, they were paid by the drug company. So they were acting as a representative of the drug company because they get consulting fees or they have some other connection, but not disclosing that unless you ask them and the drug company wasn't disclosing it. And when I would see them interviewed on other news outlets, they wouldn't disclose it because maybe they didn't ask the question. These were presented as independent academic university scientists, for example, when they weren't. So I started learning to ask these questions and I found quite often um, in almost every case, these physicians when asked would admit their role. So I think we as journalists have fallen short of doing the proper skepticism and due diligence. There's nothing wrong with interviewing somebody like that, but we need to disclose what their financial ties are so that the public can weight their information accordingly. And that was sort of maybe one of the first doors that opened for me when it comes to AstroTurf. Also, the pharmaceutical, there would be drugs under examination for safety reasons by the FDA. And I would notice that there'd be letters to the editor in papers around the country, local papers, written by independent doctors, all defending the drugs and using similar language, saying how much it's helping the patient. And again, I thought it was odd that a doctor, knowing a drug was under medical examination by the federal government for safety reasons, would go out on a limb and publish something like this. 100% of the time when I checked those doctors, they had financial ties to the drug company that they were defending that were not disclosed in these letters to the editor. So again, these are important things I came to discover as a reporter.
0: That's really shocking.
1: That is shocking. Are there, um, of course, there's uh, ways to recognize what's going on. What are the the sort of red flags that would alert us to the fact that there's astroturfing going on, that the, the messages we're getting are fake messages?
2: Well, when you see so many people using the same terms of the same language because, again, there's a great diverse array of opinions and thought out there in the world. And when you watch a news organization or you get information, everybody's kind of on the same page using similar terms and giving maybe only a certain side of a story and declaring another side off topic. Um, You can bet that there is somebody important and powerful trying to pull strings on that topic they either wanted that topic placed before you in a certain way, or sometimes more importantly, they're keeping topics from de- being discussed. And they've almost made it easier for us since this heavy-handed effort in 2016 to entirely censor views and studies and information. I mean, there was always sort of a, a light hand attempting to do that, but in 2016, it just went, you know, full full known. It wasn't even undercover anymore that certain topics were not to be discussed, certain viewpoints were not to be represented that has actually proven to be a good tell when there is anybody saying to you you should not have this information that they know but they don't think you should have right they're they're censoring something that they know about but they don't want you to hear about lest you make the wrong decision that's your cue to understand there are powerful interests trying to keep you from learning something and that should be your motivator to go find out about that so when someone tells me now that i can't know something or they block something on social media, I go and try to learn more about that. It doesn't mean that material is automatically true, but you can bet that there's someone powerful trying to stop us from finding out about it. And sometimes that leads to the bigger truth or the better story.
0: So in-, in What happened in 2016? I'm yeah, sorry.
2: I was gonna say the same, ask the same question.
1: What happened in 2016?
2: Well, I wrote a, you know, chapters on this, if people are interested, I I really dive deeply into this factually and found a lot of good evidence that this movement to change the news and redefine it from something that was at least on the surface presenting facts or trying to present facts. Yes, we were always flawed. Yes, there were opinions and mistakes made. But in 2016, this just went over the top, and I was able to trace the effort. I call it the fake news effort, which most people think is a Donald Trump term actually that was coined by liberal interests in September of 2016 I was able to find the first use of it in its modern context. And it was by a nonprofit called first draft so when I tracked down first draft because i've understood now that most nonprofits have. big interests behind them, they are not charitable groups that are somehow grassroots or independent in nature. I tracked down first draft because they were talking about fake news out of nowhere. And um, I asked them about their funding because their tax forms hadn't been filed yet. And they acknowledged that their funding came from Google. Google's parent company at the time, Alphabets, CEO at the time, Eric Schmidt, was Hillary Clinton's probably top supporter and funder. Um, So this was, in my view, a political movement started through a nonprofit. It was introduced to our landscape in September of 2016 that said there is fake news and we should really control what happens on the internet and what people see and read, and we should stop this. So it's no coincidence that within weeks of that introduction to the phrase, because I think this was actually a rollout of a propaganda campaign, President Trump made a speech at Carnegie Mellon University here in the United States, in which he said that we, we would have to do something about the wild, wild west Internet environment. And he said that someone would need to step in and curate information. And I remember hearing that at the time, not having this context, and thinking, what's he talking about? Because people may forget until 2016, there was nobody clamoring for somebody, a third party, to get between us and our information and to censor stuff and ban stuff and tell us what's true. That was not anything that the public was crying for. So why was the president of the United States introducing this concept? that only weeks before had been introduced by this nonprofit funded by Google. And from that point on, fake news made the headlines virtually every day in the national paper. They picked up the assignment and they went with it, whether knowingly or not, they took up this narrative. And then as we know, as they talked about fake news, they meant conservative news that was untrue. That was their definition. Donald Trump threw it right back at him. He like had the ball and he said fake news in his view was all of the media that was doing biased and one sided reporting, sometimes making mistakes as well, so he had his own definition and every time they said fake news he called them fake news back. He so successfully co opted the term as a master marketer that again most people think he invented it and by January of 2017 even the Washington Post was writing it's time to retire the term fake news like they, they no longer wanted to use the term that they had really popularized because now Donald Trump and his followers had taken it over. But um, as part of that effort, which we can now trace to a liberal smear group called Media Matters, which has a network of dozens of organizations under different names, operated by a guy that used to be a conservative smear artist that switched to become a liberal smear artist, meaning he's a liberal who smears conservatives, um, he started this effort to lobby Facebook and social media to tell them you need to start stepping in and monitoring the fake news and do these fact checks and the science fact checks on behalf of the pharmaceutical industry, all these things we've seen. That was all shortly after Donald Trump's election because Donald Trump's opponents saw or believed that the information they'd been able to largely control on the news was still out there on the internet for all to find. And they didn't want this Internet to be the place where you can still go find those peer-reviewed published studies they don't want you to see, or where you can still find views and opinions that show you you're not alone if you're thinking something about a topic. So this was their effort in the 2016 and early 2017 time period, which has been very successful to change the whole way we think of information and how we get it and what we're able to see and find out about online.
0: um so with regards to the Corona crisis, there's also a lot of strange words that popped up, you know, like uh, flattening the curve, uh, social distancing and all these terms. And the same even like the English terms used all around the world. Do you have any information where these terms originated? Is that also like a company? We think it must be some from England or from the US.
2: Maybe well, the yes, you know, I
0: well, or I don't know.
2: I think some of them, I don't have specific information on most of them. I think your instincts are right when you have these weird terms show up and this suddenly the media adopts them. They're being pressed by somebody. I will tell you, I looked up social distancing because that's a weird one. Every time someone says practice social distancing, I say, I'm pretty good at it now. I don't need to practice anymore. Like, why do we use that phrase? You know, why don't we just say stand apart? But um, yeah. social distancing is actually a term I found years ago in an emergency response plan that was developed here in the United States now I don't even think that was necessarily when it was coined but there are public health and safety officials who have used that term for quite some time and said even prior to this outbreak that if something like this happened there would be social distancing would be needed so but yes the fact that that got put out there the way it did flattening the curve um, the whole really coronavirus has proven to be maybe the crown jewel of information manipulation and if those who are trying to keep us from getting certain information if they simply succeed in confusing us because they'll put out something opposite maybe a study will come out and they will fund data cdc has done this they will try to find data that's contrary to this good peer reviewed published study instead of you know addressing it head on they just try to find a way to make it controversial and make it seem unsure and then they publicize mm-hmm. that to confuse the public and even if the public doesn't quite buy the information that the other agency let's say cdc is putting out it's confusing at least it's been put out there in mixed and nobody knows what to think and these smear artists told me from my book that that's good enough that they don't have to necessarily change all minds to come around the way they want them to think if they're able to throw confusion into the mix and keep people from believing wholeheartedly something certain that's almost just as good
1: mm-hmm. Well, in the meantime, um, probably because of Corona, many people have um, have become or have woken up to these to this kind of misinformation. Many people, because of Corona, I mean, I myself, I've been a lawyer for twenty-seven years, and I've been suing huge, um, big, important. Um, Uh, international corporations like Deutsche Bank and others. I used to work for Deutsche Bank and I, for the last 15 years or so, I got the impression that whenever I went to a a German um, court of law, the cards were stacked against me, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Then it turned out that um, our own chancellor, who I don't think is our own chancellor anymore, um, she coined the term. of something being systemically relevant relevant for the system and she applied it to deutsche bank which in essence means they're above the law now that is strange of course it is uh, it is totally unheard of in a democracy because a democracy needs a functioning rule of law and all of a sudden this according to merkel uh doesn't count anymore um it is only because of corona that this uneasy feeling that I had uh, became, and because of the many, many, many people who we interviewed 150 or so from uh, all walks of science, including Robert Malone, who invented um, mRNA vaccine technique, um, Catherine Austin Fitz, the former um, Housing and Urban Development Secretary of Housing and Ur- Urban Development, um, or Dr. Mike Eden, a former Vice President of Pfizer. It's only when I realized that we were not just being manipulated in one single direction, but we're being manipulated on every front. That's when I realized that something is terribly wrong. And I think many, many more people, not just myself. Viviane has been onto these things for a longer time than I have. She, uh, I guess she started um, uh, looking at these things even before uh, 9-11. But um, I think many people are now alerted to the fact that there's something absolutely wrong and that we're being manipulated. So if people understand about astroturfing, which seems to be an incredibly powerful tool in this context, I think then uh, the, um, that, that'll, that'll be like pulling away the curtain. All of a sudden you see what's really going on and there you have it, the Wizard of Oz. There's just a little dwarf sitting there. Do you think that'll help? getting out the truth, making people understand that they're really being manipulated in this very special way?
2: Well, there will always be a segment of society on any issue or any cause that's probably going to go along with what I would say the propaganda or the narrative. That's why it's effective. This has been well studied, whether it's the CIA or corporate entities. They understand how to influence public opinion quite well. But I think you make a good point that those trying to influence public opinion have done a disservice by being so obvious about it that people can actually yeah. point to it. So people who are not anti-vaccine are being called anti-vaccine. And that makes them think, mm-hmm. well, I'm not, and they've been saying that for years, and they start broadening out, maybe thinking about other things beyond coronavirus that they didn't question before, that they understand now, oh, I, I see what's happening. So in a way, it's they're undercutting themselves with a certain segment of the population who uses their critical thinking skills to kind of understand what's going Mm -hmm. on. CDC is constantly complaining as our public health officials that um, the public is not taking enough vaccines or believing them on this or that. And I've said for a long time, even before coronavirus, when it comes to these issues, they're hurting themselves. It's not the public who's destroying uh, public confidence in public health. It's the public health agencies and officials that have put out disinformation and misinformation. If they would be honest, which they too often fail to be on certain topics, and the public would understand these safety issues, for example, are being addressed, it would bring public confidence to the vaccine system and to public health agency. Instead, when people do a little bit of their own research and reading and see CDC putting out information that's contrary or not addressing it, that's what makes them skeptical. So these agencies, I think, are to blame themselves or to blame for the lack of confidence that they're blaming the public for is if the public is somehow un- uneducated, The public is, in fact, mm-hmm. getting very educated, but the problem is when they come to believe nothing that you say because they've caught you in some misinformation. They're not even going to believe you when you tell them the truth if you're a public health agency and that's a problem I think that's what's happening now one thing that CDC got caught doing, which I think was big and in an unmanaged information environment, this would have made global headlines. One of our congressmen recorded CDC top officials and scientists in repeated phone calls as they were falsely claiming in December and January of last year that the Pfizer and Moderna studies showed that the vaccine was effective and helpful for people who'd already had coronavirus. The study showed no such thing. And here was CDC, which had said so on its website, And this congressman who's very smart and an engineer and was getting some information and saw that this disinformation was on the website. He talks to them on the phone and you can hear this circle of misinformation and propaganda as they try to tell him why they've done this and why they shouldn't have to correct it and he finally presses them as a congressman. To change the information they don't know they're being recorded yet they acknowledge it's wrong they acknowledge the study showed no such benefit for people who've already had coronavirus to get vaccinated. And then within two days they're giving a webinar to physicians around the world, making the same claim These same doctors that were acknowledging on the phone with him two days before that it was false and they continue to put that out, so this is intentional. They get caught doing that, and then the head of CDC later comes forward and says you can't spread coronavirus if you've been vaccinated which. Even I knew at the time wasn't true, and they have to correct that all of this adds up, and these are the people making decisions on our public health measures, which haven't seemed to work very well in the past year and a half. And and I'm not faulting, you know, in this experimental changing environment. I know we don't know everything up front, but I did speak to numerous scientists, including some who work for the government on the front end, who have proven absolutely accurate in hindsight about the things they predicted and said, but were ignored, and were not what public health officials were saying publicly about the steps we ought to take, about the effectiveness that the vaccines would have, and so on. And I can see that we've really gotten a tunneled view of information. And if you try to go off the narrative, as you know, you, that information is banned on Facebook and it's banned on Twitter. And Google Ads flags me if I publish a peer reviewed published study that's cited in BBC and other organizations, but I put it on my website and I get a, a tick mark that says there's disinformation or dangerous information for the community out there. So it, it's a, it's a scary time in terms of information, but I think they're cueing us to the truth by what they try to hide.
0: And why do you think they're so over the top with these like, you know, denying that this yeah. study is out there or like just the examples that you mentioned, are they under a lot of pressure or are, do they feel like extra safe or, you know, like wh- what's the reason behind this being so intense and even being caught lying?
2: Well, there's a combination there are true believers in the medical world believers of things that aren't proven or true because they've been told this it's been drummed into them in medical schools. Where the curricula is written written by the pharmaceutical industry where their textbooks are bought and paid for, in some cases by the pharmaceutical industry. Um, But from a big standpoint we're talking about federal agencies, and this is again something that I studied quite a bit have written about reported on before coronavirus. Our federal agencies and our media and our our institutions have been so co-opted by the pharmaceutical industry since the early 2000 time period that I'm aware of, maybe sooner, but I'm certainly aware in the 2004, 2005 time period, that there is really no line anymore, in my view, and the view of many scientists who work at these agencies between the people making decisions in the administration of these agencies and the vaccine industry or the pharmaceutical industry. They're so intertwined. And their information is so polluted between each other that you really can't get an independent look at things anymore. The government, in essence, acts as defender of the pharmaceutical industry and promoter of all things medical, rather than watching out for the consumer. They consider in their internal emails the pharmaceutical industry companies to be their clients. They refer to them as clients, not the American public. And, um, you know, I think this is a huge conflict that's been pointed out by Congress in the past. But as you know, Congress is so well-funded by the pharmaceutical industry, the donations to both parties are copious. The number of lobbyists from the pharmaceutical industry writing laws and influencing policy there is just outrageous. And then you get to the media. The media before the early 2000s in, in America was not allowed to advertise prescription drugs. And then the media, I found out in hindsight, partnered with, like it's CBS News, our corporate folks, partnered with the pharmaceutical industry and lobbied on Capitol Hill to make these sorts of controversial ads, advertising prescription drugs to the public, allowed almost nowhere else in the world to make that legal in the US. And once that passed, we quit doing our due diligence. I saw a bright line from the stories that I was being encouraged to do and other reporters were doing, to all of a sudden, nobody wanted those stories anymore in management. They didn't want those stories to air that were doing a look at pharmaceutical industry dangers suddenly that was anti-medicine and anti-vaccine. None of that was true, but these narratives were being built and we quit doing that reporting. And to this day, there's very little of it done because the information is so well managed by these interests that are so intertwined.
1: Well, it seems to me that, it seems to me to be very obvious that this has got to implode. I mean, it's only a matter of time when people really catch on to what's going on not just because it's going over the top right now but also because there's so many so many of these lies that have been exposed as being lies already that it's going to be impossible to keep those people who have been alerted to this without knowing anything about astroturfing but who've been alerted to the fact that they're being professionally lied to um it seems to be next to impossible to stop these people from uncovering everything. It's only a matter of time when in Germany, those maybe 20 or 30% of the people who do understand and who are asking more and more questions, um, get the attention of the other 40%. We've learned this from a professor of psychology from Belgium, that there's 40% of the people who are sort of sitting on the fence and don't know which side to get off, Um, but they're still approachable. So it's only a matter of time before the 30% who look through this, even without knowing about astroturfing, will get the attention of the other 40%. And that's the end of the story then. Uh, but in the meantime, maybe that that's what explains their aggressiveness. They're going over the top. In the meantime, what damage will be done. Um, but it's obvious, to, at least in my view, that this has got to implode. This is This is self-destructive.
2: Well, they are able to use a lot of tools because this is a war that's going on for this information mm. for people's opinions you're right there are i think more people that are asking the right questions but there's still a lot of people being kept in the dark and maybe they don't have the time to do research or don't have the desire for whatever reason once you politicize something then you're guaranteed and that's a big goal of theirs take an issue that's not political make it political mm. and then you have a whole bunch of people that will just take your side instinctively or be against what you want them to be against because they think they have a political, they feel strongly politically about things. They have some really heavy-handed tactics, though, to control. So when it comes to the scientific community, I found more doctors who don't work directly for the government, but plenty who do and can't be named, differ and disagree with so much of the public health advice that's been given. One of them used the word criminal, saying this is criminal, what the public health agencies have recommended and done. But when they speak like that. They're easily you know this it's so endemic they're easily cut off because their academic institutions are pressured by people they're either fired or they're cut off from grants and funds all the research that's conducted now. seems to have some tie to federal agencies, this is how the federal government controls, you know things there's just money everywhere. Mm -hmm. And if you speak the wrong way, I know someone that was doing a, a study an independent study of hydroxychloroquine and other medicines and didn't work for any of the companies. And that had to be stopped and he was told by the head of his institution don't even talk about it anymore when that was politicized and controversialized and he told me. The sad truth is we will now never have the answer to the thing that people were debating because they won't even let the peer reviewed published study happen, which was the point. Um, And then people like that again they're frozen out where they can't operate their licenses are threatened their medical licenses to, to operate. I mean, there's just so many different ways to bully people into trying to go along. But I think the more they do that, you're building a bigger and bigger base of people who understand something dishonest is happening and who, I hope you're right, will eventually build critical mass and want the truth to be told regardless of what the cost to them may be. I
0: think this is really a critical moment. Yeah. I think it's a critical moment. It is a
1: critical moment And um, I think the more heavy-handed these tactics get, the more people who, before Corona, used to be highly um, respected scientists, um, politicians. Well, there's very few politicians who dare speak out in Germany, but it's different in the United States. But the more of these people who used to be highly respected people are all of a sudden turned into in Germany, this is this is what's being done right wing right wing Nazi Nazi that's what they do to anyone who is uh, not in line with the government, but the more this happens. The more people of this segment of the 40% who are still approachable there's 30% of the population that's what this. Um, psycho professor of psychology from Belgium, Professor Desmet explained to us who who are like not just like but they're hypnotized they cannot be approached, but the 40% um they can still be approached and they notice these things maybe they didn't at the beginning but the the, the more heavy-handed these tactics get the more people are sort of banned in this manner uh, the more people wake up the more people will ask questions i think this is totally unstoppable even though uh as catherine austin fitz says it's probably going to get a lot worse beca- before it gets better but it's unstoppable basically the question is how much more damage will be done until so many people look through this that this whole thing will have to be uh, ended.
2: Well, you bring up a good point because, again, prior to coronavirus, there were documents inside the pharmaceutical industry that have been revealed through various investigations that show they know if they can just buy time, they make a ton of money. One example is when they understand that a drug that they have put on the market may be causing adverse events at a rate that will the FDA will eventually require them to pull the drug. They say in their internal documents, this has been found, that one strategy to do when that happens is to schedule a meeting. But you schedule a meeting for six months in the future, you say, yes, we, the drug company, we're very responsible, we're very concerned, and in six months we're going to have a meeting with the FDA or have some sort of consultation. And then they go on to say in their internal documents, if they can simply stall the removal of a drug that they know they're going to have to pull off the market for safety reasons, if they can stall it for X number of months, they'll be able to pay for all the lawsuits that come over the de- of, over the injuries and deaths. I call it calculated injuries and calculated deaths because it's actually baked into the equation. So they know in a case like this, let's say um, in the case of the vaccine companies and government slash almost one and the same in some interests in some respects, let's say they just want to get as many sold and get their foot in the door while it's hot Um, The most they can do that until the public and a certain segment of the public starts to question, is it really valid to distribute an emergency vaccine if the emergency is largely over or for a disease or disorder that's not hurting many people. I had someone involved in developing one of the vaccines, a scientist tell me on the front end, you can't force people to take a vaccine he said this is not smallpox, you can't force people to take a vaccine for something that has so little injury to so few people, you know. so little serious injury. That's what was being said at the front end of this. And um, even someone who's pushing the vaccine mandates told me that he understands, even if the vaccine mandates don't hold up in court, they've largely been effective from a standpoint of compliance, because just the fact that they're expected or they've been announced, many companies required them, many people went ahead and got them. So they've made a ton of money and gotten a ton of compliance just by the threat of something that may never legally come to pass. Um, So buying time is a big thing in the industry when you're talking about money that can be made, regardless of what happens six months from now.
0: It's a Mm -hmm. a terrible crime. You know, it's such a crime against humanity. It's so, so horrible to fool all these people and just, you know, with the money making goal in mind. Um I was wondering, do you think that, you know, maybe if the coronavirus um, narrative runs dry at some point in the future, just what Rainer just said, you know, that it's more and more people are maybe looking through it, do you think they have um, other agendas, um, you know, sort of set up already, like, say, for instance, like a, a revolution, like civil unrest, or like, uh, you know, like supply problems, and then you have to send the military in or there's going to be like a false flag, you mentioned the crisis companies. Earlier on, so maybe would you see, you know, coming up there? I mean, it's speculation, but can you see maybe like even traits of of something like that going on that we can see a change in the story at some point in the future, or rather maybe?
2: I can't um, with any precision or you know accuracy say what I think might be coming. But I can tell you that there are people that are already sketching that out, all kinds of possibilities. What happens if, what what can we do next if this? Um, I think they're worried right now about Donald Trump returning. There's gonna be a big, a lot of information manipulated and set up to address that. Uh, The Donald Trump phenomenon, and I've often spoken to this and been mischaracterized by these propagandists as if I support Donald Trump, when I'm simply criticizing the coverage of him or the media inaccuracies that have been reported about him and the way we've changed our definition of what's acceptable in journalism to cover him in a unique way because we deemed him to be uniquely dangerous so we don't have to follow our ethics and standards when we report on him, which I think is ridiculous. But I think there's a lot of concern about him coming back. And a point I wanna make is, it's not just that so many people, meaning some Democrats and some Republicans, hate Donald Trump and what he tweets, Donald Trump was uniquely dangerous to the establishment in both parties and to the corporations here because he had not come up through or was not beholden to the same companies and interests that had bought their way through long-established companies and political action committees and you know movers and shakers in the industry, so that they could have the president's ear. Whoever was elected, whether it was a Democrat or Republican, these pipelines have been built by certain players for years. In comes Donald Trump. And they don't have a way to get to him, so I think the powerful interests that were against Donald Trump and the strings that were being pulled. were largely from these money interests that knew he was more independent now he, he certainly trump had his own things that he wanted to accomplish. But he was not beholden to the same pipeline of power and money that had gotten other people elected and gotten other people where they were and that's a very dangerous thing for these people that someone you know I call him the wild card would come in here and not make the decisions that they could count on other Democrats and Republicans to make that were not necessarily in their best financial interests. So I think they're very worried about the potential for a Trump comeback. And I think we'll see a lot of information manipulated that will be designed to try to handle that.
1: Mm -hmm. We have have learned from, many 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 psychologists and psychiatrists that this is corona is a huge psychological operation it's like a it's psychological terrorism but it seems to me that within this operation astroturfing plays an incredibly big role um therefore i believe it is very important because it's it's i'm not saying easily understandable but once you explain it the way you do um most people will, Will have a better grasp of what's going on, than by just getting these not more or less abstract psychological concepts astroturfing is pretty clear cut, so I think we should expose this. um, Worldwide, so that more and more people are beginning to understand that they're being manipulated in a very. Well, as Viviana just mentioned, in a very brutal way, this is completely amoral. It goes against anything that um, any human being uh, has ever learned. I mean, as the way I was brought up, the way you uh, were probably brought up is we we have to, there's certain standards that uh, we don't lie, we shouldn't. Well, there's always these little lies, but we don't lie and not on this almost industrial massive scale. So the question that I, have is the people who are behind this, the people who are participating in this, I mean not the ones who are just puppets, who don't know what's going on, but those who who drive these smear campaigns intentionally, what kind of people are these? Are they totally amoral?
2: Well, I guess um, there's probably a lot of justification going on. There are people who tell themselves they're doing what's best even if they have to say things that aren't true or convince people to do something. I've had more doctors and scientists make statements to me that are so provably false that when I come back at them and say well that's not true. They then shift their statement which shows me they knew it wasn't when they said it one example two of them recently said to me. And again, I am not anti vaccine that's completely false i'm fully vaccinated my kids fully vaccinated you know that was public well before coronavirus. These are just natural questions that should be allowed to be asked and should be asked about any medicine but um i had two doctors say to me there are no side effects with the covid vaccine and i just stunned there is no medicine that exists on earth that doesn't have side effects so that was just such a crazy statement for a medical professional to make and in each case when i said well there are and i pointed to the peer-reviewed published studies the data i mean there's hundreds of hundreds of them as well as acknowledgments on the labeling And CDC of some of them, and when I pointed out that you could debate how broad they are we don't even know the full scope yet because they haven't been out long enough, but certainly there are some. Both of these doctors immediately slipped into well there's not very much so they knew at the time they were saying there are no side effects that that wasn't true and they immediately slipped into well they're not very bad or not very frequent. This has happened enough that it made me think I guess these doctors, the ones I was talking about. They must think they have to make these definitive statements and I it starts to lead me to suspect that there is some playbook that goes out to them that says be definitive when you talk about it, you know just don't even open the door crack and most people won't know better. And then the ones who do you can kind of adjust your remarks accordingly, but another point um, that makes me think of when you bring this up is. The government is talking about vaccine mandates in large part. Not because the vaccines are highly effective, because we know they're not, at least for a long period of time, you know. If, to the extent to which they work for a few months for some people that could be good, depending on side effects and other things. Well, you know they don't last very long, but yet they're still recommending these mandates, which don't make a lot of sense, because the natural immunity, according to virtually every study, except some being pushed by CDC, some data, is far superior to the vaccination, but that's not being addressed. So. I've been told by public health officials a few times, well, part of the reason to do vaccine mandates in the workplace is because people are scared and they won't come back to work, you know. but we, if we get everybody vaccinated, they'll come back to work. So they're giving sort of an economic justification to something that doesn't make scientific sense. And I want to say, and I don't argue in a news story that I do, it's not my point to argue with these people. Um, I wanna hear their views and represent represent different views accordingly. But what I'm thinking is, people are afraid because you've made them afraid. And instead of saying the answer to that is getting everybody vaccinated with a vaccine that people can get and still spread it and still get sick you know, with coronavirus, what about tamping down the fear? What about being honest about the true casualty rate of coronavirus among healthy people? What about a different approach instead of saying, they're basically saying we've scared everybody to death and the only answer is to give everybody a vaccine that doesn't work very well. Instead of saying, let's be honest and present the data accordingly, which will tamp down the fear because the facts are actually not upsetting for most people, the vast majority of people. And that would tamp down the fear. And people would be comfortable to get back to the workplace if they were widely told by the government, if you've had it before, like most Americans have had COVID, either symptomatically or not by now, you're safer than if you've been vaccinated, according to studies. So don't be afraid to go back to work. But that message is nowhere to be found. And when common sense like that kicks in, but you see them doing something else, that's when I say, trust your cognitive dissonance, something's going on. Every time somebody, every time either a vaccine is not working against a new variant, the government will say something like, um, the vaccines are great and you need a booster for the new variant. And I'm thinking, you will know, say they're highly effective and you need a booster. I'm like, well, if they're highly effective, you wouldn't need a booster, right? Like those two things don't seem to go along. And they'll say if someone passes away sadly of coronavirus after they've had a shot, instead of the public message being something that explains that they say. They literally say this proves how effective the vaccines are and why more people should get them and i'm at home going you haven't explained that well to me like you. you're saying things that don't make sense, and I guess some people go Okay, but I know a lot of people go those two things don't go together that you're saying so. You know, I think I do think they're undercutting their own message by being so obvious about it. Maybe they're doing us a favor in a way. Um, but yeah. it's interesting to hear about the percentage that you say, regardless of what happens, will still kind of buy the narrative versus those who are mm-hmm. convincible to or at least open to other facts.
0: Um, I have a question, well, I think or, or had I to with this. Directly, or I have a, a different question. I was wondering, you know, because we see um, like the resistance, you know, like the people who are questioning the Corona measures and also saying this, uh, you know, our basic law is uh, is destroyed by these measures. Um, How infiltrated with like pseudo grassroots um, activity do you think the resistance is and what so, um, you know, because we see sometimes um, people who are Okay, maybe they're just in it for the money or maybe maybe they have a different agenda and at some point all of a sudden they might switch sides or
2: um, do you think
0: it's there's a lot of infiltration going on with the resistance at the moment.
2: When you say the resistance are you saying are there people that are resisting mandates, but those I mean like the
0: protagonists you know like like. um, maybe organize demonstrations or like have uh, youtube channels and are now um you know raising doubts and stuff and then um or like um and then maybe all of a sudden they get vaccinated or they do something that's kind of makes the whole thing or you know incredible in sort of weird looking
2: that's a common strategy and you can bet that was being used off the front end here just like with the January 6th riots that occurred, the pro-Trump demonstration that turned riotous Mm -hmm. at our Capitol, the government will not answer when asked directly by members of Congress, how many plainclothes FBI agents were dispatched and working in the crowd. We know there were some and they won't Mm -hmm. say how many, why? Um, That brings up a question. But also, um, yes, we know just to, to leave the topic, there's a big issue going on here in the United States about parents rising up against Critical race theory, sort of a racist uh, agenda being taught in our schools that teaches people to see things racially. And a lot of uh, parents are rising up against this agenda. But we see in one county, happens to be the county where I live, and I did a story on this for my program. There was a Facebook group of officials that was said to be parents of Loudoun County, looked like a grassroots organization on Facebook that was getting together and saying let's go against the parents that don't want critical race theory but they were saying some very strong things on this closed Facebook page they wanted to target the parents they wanted to infiltrate their groups to pretend to be somebody who was one of them and like-minded first of all they wanted to hack into them illegally they said but they also wanted to disguise themselves as, as if they were supporters and get in the group and provide information and influence so these tactics are used all the time Interestingly, who was part of the Parents of Loudoun County Facebook group? Six members of the school board, school board officials were on that group. And who else was on the group but the uh, Commonwealth Attorney for Virginia herself, who would be prosecuting any crimes if crimes occurred by this group. She was part of the group. She was a George Soros liberal philanthropist activist elected uh, Commonwealth attorney in this area. So these were all people seeking a certain agenda but disguised as parents of loudon county some of them didn't even live in the county by the way they were talking about infiltrating parents and parents groups and pretending to be part of them so that they could uh, undermine them this this happens all the time i don't know if specific examples but i i can't believe it wouldn't be used in this context as well
1: absolutely yeah. absolutely um if well after um more than a year and a half i think it's about a year and a half since we started our corona committee and we started it because we realized we wouldn't get any answers to any of the questions that we had and we believe that these are not just questions that Vivian and myself had but many people must have these questions so we realized the government is not going to answer them and the mainstream media is not going to answer them either that's why we started the corona investigative committee in berlin Uh, The three basic questions were: How dangerous is the virus? Really, it's no more dangerous than the common flu. It's probably a man-made virus, but still, the um, the human immune system is perfectly capable of dealing with it. So, the infection fatality rate is is no higher than that of the common flu. According even to the WHO, and according to John Ioannidis of Stanford University, it's between 0.14 and 0.15 percent. Um, the second question is, how reliable is the PCR test? And it turns out the PCR test is totally unreliable. It's a great tool, as invented by Kerry Mullis, but it is uh, but it's not for diagnostic purposes. It's a scientific uh, tool. And he pointed this out over and over and over again. So it turns out that this is being used, the PCR test was being used by this German professor Drusten who invented it not the real inventor of the PCR test, but he invented it for the purpose of diagnosing uh, COVID infection. He's lying because he knows that it doesn't work that way because, and we know he's lying because six years, seven years ago, he gave an interview in which he ex- precisely explained how a positive test doesn't mean a thing. And the way his test was set up, it was designed uh, to create as many cases, false positives that is, as many cases as possible, so as to give the a World Health Organization a justification for declaring the public health emergency of international concern, which then was the basis and the only basis for using totally untested new drugs, the so-called vaccinations, on human beings. So if you take take a look at this context, the, the final answer right now is this is not about health. Contrary to what public officials and the mainstream media are telling us, this is not about health. There's a completely different agenda behind this. But the people who are taking part in this, in particular in this astroturfing aspect of this, it seems to me, and I mean willingly and knowingly take part in this, not the, uh, not just the uh, puppets, it seems to me that they're completely evil because this is killing people. If you look at theirs, um, all these <laughs> side effects that are being reported, and we know this is heavily underreported, Um, They know, they must know, just like we do, they must know what they're doing is killing people. That's why I'm saying they must be completely evil. And this, I do think, is going to have to implode, because it's coming out. When you spoke to these people, what is the impression you got of them? Is it that they're in it for the money and they just don't care if people get killed, or uh, do they, I mean, I can't believe how anybody can believe this is good if the only way to to transport this message is by blatantly lying
2: i think public health officials have been so corrupted in some cases by industry that they've been able to convince themselves of something that they think is the greater good even when it's not the greater good but that they can say things that are contrary to something that's helpful to somebody health wise if they can justify in the context of a greater good and one example of that that i heard years ago from insiders in the government was, the reason they didn't want to acknowledge, which they have acknowledged um, since then, and and in secret papers and in some court cases, they didn't want to acknowledge the link between vaccines and autism, because if they did that, parents would be so scared, they'd stop vaccinating and diseases would come back, communicative diseases across the world. So the rationale is your kid could be hurt, maybe there'd be something we could do about it, but we're not going to do that because in the larger context your kid they don't say it in these words but can be sacrificed for the good of. The globe. we can't let these infectious diseases come back, and I remember I had never heard an argument like that. Public health officials are taught to make those calculations and arguments, and one thing that gets me really mad about it is. We didn't elect them to do anything they take the position of telling us what's good for us, even if it's contrary to what's really good for us individually. And they're influenced by outside factors that they don't always disclose. And we didn't elect them to do any of that they're not my doctor they're not my personal doctor they don't know me I certainly didn't hire them or elect them to tell me information that's not true That's supposedly for the good of society. And I really think that's a problem, but I think a lot of them believe or have have justified what they do, and you know, maybe they have lucrative connections, but they've justified it morally by convincing themselves there is a greater good to some of these things they do that they know or say that they know are not true i go back to in the very beginning of this whole crisis there was this narrative that we needed more tests we needed more tests we needed more tests i could not figure out why people kept saying that because i didn't understand and the press wasn't asking what does that do all it does is if you want to look at it in one way it tells us there's people getting hurt in immu- natural immunity and instead of portraying all the cases when you have a billion cases as bad the flip side to the poor people who do get very sick. The flip side is all the other people are getting natural immunity so. But we started treating case counts like some alarming horrifying thing, even when most of the people didn't get sick at all, or according to CDC have no symptoms or mild symptoms and yet cases among children that don't even know they have it were all treated as emergencies like you said to create a sense of emergency i was asking in the beginning why aren't we developing good common tests that can show if you've been exposed and had immunity i'm not talking about antibody tests cuz that's not the only way to show you have immunity develop great tests those people could have gone back to work it's it's millions of people that could have when we were all shut down you know run run the trains and you know kept time basically gotten the society running instead of keeping everybody closed down because those people were in effect we even knew very early on at least for the short term uh largely immune so why weren't we focusing on those kind of tests to get people back out into society instead of just testing 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 to see an asymptomatic case of someone who wasn't even sick to count it as if it's an emergency instead of actually a success because we want to be I mean ideally according to scientists the more people that have mild or no symptoms but have had coronavirus who still seem to be well protected from a second infection that's good you know obviously that's the flip side to the bad of it so why aren't we tracking that and talking about that more but you know the interesting
0: part is that in germany a paper leaked in um It leaked in February of this year, like and it was dated from uh, March of last year, and they were already discussing at that point, like continuous mass testing. So it was already a plan. It's a script. I mean, you know, that's why they already had it on their on their agenda at that early point, you know, when it was not even clear if this was going to really hit the globe hard. You know, it's very strange. I have one question. Um, one last question from my side, uh, like, do you have any ideas like how to counter social engineer this whole thing? Like if we can sort of find a, uh, do you know if they come with these smear, com- these campaigns, you know, out and and what's the way to, to, um, yeah, I, I don't know, to to find a workaround or like to, to get out an, a different message, a counter message. What's the well, most effective
2: way? A lot of people are working on platforms on the internet that can't be destroyed by the people who have learned to control the basic big tech platforms that we use and I think they will accomplish this in the next three or four years some of the people working on this problem to be to be able to get out information that's not controlled are include Larry Sanger the former co-founder of wikipedia who left when he saw wikipedia taken over by you know propagandists and special interests He's working on the technical problem of what can we build that isn't beholden to the people that can pull the strings that can make free information you see everybody trying to come up with something like that. I've been contacted by investors who want to fund something like that. I've heard from people that technically are exploring using blockchain technology and other things I don't understand to try to build something like that. So I do think this wake up call with our information being so controlled by a few groups that are then controlled by behind the scenes corporate and political interests. Facebook's not acting on behalf of Facebook. Facebook is acting on behalf of the people pulling strings at Facebook. I do think there will be alternate platforms that are found and set up that information can be found. The question becomes who will seek it. There's There will be a certain population that seeks the other information, but they're already on board. So I guess it's that, that group that you talk about that's in between that's open to Acts and and will use their critical thinking skills and maybe they will start to seek that kind of information and find it as well. I, I think that's the only way. And to tell people, just to keep talking about this, to trust their common sense and cognitive dissonance. When people on TV use key language or on the internet, like everybody knows, or they make a statement and say full stop period, or they say something about that's anti science. Those are all keys to tell you it's not a full stop period. Or everybody doesn't know when they say everybody knows, so they wouldn't have to say that. There, these are key words that show you they're trying to keep you from thinking for yourself on certain topics, and we just should keep pointing that out. That use that as a cue to actually seek the information they don't want you to hear about.
1: Um, yeah. Cheryl, I I don't want to keep you, but uh, one final question. Um, it it's um, um, the what are the what are the signals what are the red flags um, that will tell us that there's astroturfing going on that they're that they're that we're being supplied with false information that uh something is going on to keep us from getting to the truth it's uh you mentioned in the beginning that it's one of the one of the key signals is that if many different um sources come up with the same language pointing in the same direction And uh, what are the other, uh, I think you just mentioned another one, I forget, but uh, there's a few things that we should should look out for in order to understand, oops, there's something going on here that is not really uh, the truth.
2: When new language or phrases are created that you haven't heard before and suddenly they seem to be widely adopted on the news and online and by politicians, that's a cue that you should look into that or not Mm -hmm. just accept that at face value. When everybody's on the same page and using similar phrases and i'm talking about even news organizations that come from opposite sides of the political spectrum. They may be appearing to give a slightly different take on something, but the fact that they're all talking about that topic shows somebody has put that topic on the table. And is trying to manipulate opinion one way or another, so that should lead you to think about that and seek some independent information when people declare a debate is over or there's not two sides to a story. Or that there's something you shouldn't be able to learn about that's a really big one because. That was never that may have been thought about years ago on the news, but we never said things like that news is being redefined like. We don't have to tell two sides There aren't two sides to some stories there's truth and there's not these are all new things that have happened in my industry. The cue that someone has gotten in uh, you know the camel has poked his nose under the tent there able to influence the terms of something so if someone says the debate is over that tells me it's not you wouldn't have to say the debate is over, if the debate were really over so that makes me again. Mm -hmm. That should make all of us seek out more information when you hear these sorts of things anytime someone is trying to come between you and your information, and I mean that which is legal. I don't mean about illegal information but just pure information that used to be accessible to everybody that's your cue to. um, look beyond what you're being presented at face value.
1: Okay, well, again, I want to thank you so much. This is not just relevant. This is extremely important. I think this is probably one of the core things that we need to think about, that we need to take a closer look at. Um, This is, in my view, uh, after what you've told us now, um, it is probably the most important tool that is being used in this psychological terrorism campaign. Um, and it is good. It is easy to understand, at least the way you explain it to us. So, this is, I'm extremely grateful, Cheryl. This was excellent.
2: Well, thank you for That's having amazing. me. Amazing. Thanks so much. I appreciate You're it.
0: Very, very informative. Cool.
1: Yeah. We'll be in touch, Cheryl. I think there's more, uh, there are going to be more issues uh, on which we will probably need your advice. But thank you very much for now and have a great day.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me. You take care.